Friends, as a community, we, we look together to the living God, to slow down, to get quiet, to listen for God's voice. So if you'll turn with me, we're going to look at Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 24. If you have a Bible with you, if you want to pull it up on your phone, or follow along on the screen as I read God's word for us. Acts chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 24 through 36 together. So starting in verse 24. Hear God's word. Speaking about Jesus, we read these words. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried. And his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet. And knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Let's pray. God, we are desperate for a word from you. And so we pray humbly and confidently because you're here. You're with us by your spirit and you're speaking. And so we pray, come Holy Spirit, help us to hear, to actually hear from you, God. And help us to receive, to actually receive your word, and help us to to be transformed by your word today. Make us a people of hope in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. We feel the, the madness of our world. Of course we do. Past couple of weeks, it's been it's been overwhelming. The news just keeps coming in with the horrific mass shooting in Buffalo, New York, fueled by the evils of white supremacy and racist conspiracy theories. An 18-year-old man drove three hours to a predominantly black neighborhood, where he opened fire in a Topps grocery store, killing 10 people, injuring three. 11 of those victims were black. There were recent shootings in Dallas, Texas, where Asian Americans were targeted. And this comes in the midst of an increase of violence against Asian Americans in our country over the past couple of years. There was a shooting in Southern California at a Presbyterian church where a mostly older Taiwanese congregation was gathered to welcome back a former pastor. And one man was killed as he heroically went to stop the shooter. And then Tuesday, another mass shooting, this time at a Texas elementary school. 
19 children, fourth graders, two teachers, two adults, murdered. We feel the madness, the madness of gun violence in our country, acts of hatred, terror, racism, and the world feels unhinged, full of chaos, unglued, deeply, deeply broken. And we feel this in all sorts of ways. Yes, we feel it globally and nationally. We feel it in our, in our own lives when, when our world feels unhinged, like it's just ripping at the seams. It's the medical diagnosis that turns your world upside down in the course of one doctor's appointment. It's the call from your boss that your position is being eliminated effective immediately. It's the return home from that dream vacation to find that your house is flooded. Your insurance says they're not going to cover it. It's the ongoing struggle that we all face of, of broken relationships, chronic illness, financial difficulties. And of course, we're still facing the fallout of, of two plus years of a global pandemic, the, the collective trauma and grief and suffering there. And the list keeps going. Food shortages around the world felt particularly in places like Afghanistan and Somalia and Ethiopia and Kenya. I saw a report this week that there are now over 100 million people displaced because of conflict. Over 100 million people, that's a, a record in our modern history. And the list keeps going. Rising inflation, daily watching the horrors of war in Ukraine, political strife here and around the world, nationwide shortage of, of baby formula, and parents are, are desperate to meet the most basic need of, of their child. And the list keeps going. And I trust that you have your own, your own examples things that are maybe top of your mind this morning, things that maybe kept you up last night, things that are on your heart. I think even in, in sort of mundane ways, if you can even call it that, we, we feel the, the madness, the madness of, of social media, supply chain issues, lines at DIA, price of gas, the weather lately. And it raises a lot of questions, I think. But certainly one of them is, who is in charge here? Who's in charge? And depending on who you ask, you're going to get a different answer. Who's on charge, in charge here? Well, some would say, no one is. That all of life is sort of this, this randomness, uh, chance, maybe. Others would maybe point to some sort of like benign force, like the universe, that every once in a while sort of moves the chess pieces along. Others would point to those with the deepest pockets or the most political clout, like those people, those people are in charge. And before you start to worry that this is the most depressing sermon ever, <laughs> the Christian claim is starkly different. Who's in charge here? Jesus. Jesus is. Does that sound crazy? Hopelessly naive? really obtuse, like if you're going to believe that, you've got to put your head in the sand. Well, let's look again at our passage. Let's turn again, people of God, to the word of God. Here again, Acts chapter 2, verse 24. But God raised him from the dead. 
freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Peter, this follower of Jesus, preaching to the crowd gathered on Pentecost, this day where God's spirit is poured out on all God's people, Peter boldly proclaims that death couldn't hold Jesus, that the powers of death that wreak havoc in our world could not contain the Son of God, could not hold Jesus down. And Peter's on a roll, he's fired up, the spirit's been poured out, so he keeps preaching, and he refers to King David the most famous king of Israel. And he says God had made a promise to David that one of his own descendants would sit on the throne forever. And the words ascribed to David in our passage, they come from Psalm 16. And Peter says David was speaking prophetically. He's looking down the road. He's talking about one who would come. He's talking about the resurrection of the Messiah. And so today we're going to focus on what Peter says next and what comes next in his sermon on what comes next in the story of Jesus, the ascension of Jesus. We actually just celebrated Ascension Day. It was Thursday. Happy Ascension Day. I'm probably like the 50th person who's told you that, right? Like, <laughs> hope you got a cake out of it, maybe a Grubhub gift card, a traditional Ascension Day Grubhub gift card. That's a thing. It's not a thing. Scriptures tell us death couldn't hold him down. And 40 days later, after Jesus was raised from the dead, he ascended into heaven. And what does that mean? We talk far more about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, but what about the ascension of Jesus? One scholar says, we treat the ascension of Jesus sort of like an epilogue in a novel, like all the main action has been resolved uh, but we have a few pages left to sort of catch up with where Jesus is now, sort of like a great celebrity, where are they now? Or maybe like the montage sometimes you'll get at the end of a movie before the end credits where you kind of get a freeze frame on each of the characters telling you where they are a year from now, two years from now, and so the, the shot freezes on the face of Jesus and he smiles and he turns to the camera <laughs> and the type comes up on the screen, Jesus ascended to heaven. What does it mean, church, when we confess these words in the Apostles' Creed? We believe he ascended into heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. We read at the end of the Gospel of Luke. We read while he was blessing them, he left them and then was taken up into heaven. Okay. So did Jesus sort of float away, <laughs> up, up? In a way, is that what we're to imagine when we read scripture? Is this sort of like a, a Glinda from the Wizard of Oz situation that we're talking about? Like, is there like a Jesus bubble and Jesus is on it and then away he goes? Is that what we're talking about? What does it mean that Jesus was taken up into heaven, that he ascended into heaven? Well, the language of scripture is inviting us to understand a, a metaphorical ascent. A metaphorical ascent. As scholar N.T. Wright points out, when we talk about heaven, we're talking about God's space. When we talk about earth, we're talking about the space of humans, where humans dwell. So you have God's space, and you have human space, heaven and earth. And here's the thing, heaven and earth were always meant to overlap and intersect, to come together. Think Garden of Eden. In the beginning, God dwelling with human beings, fully present to his creation. Heaven and earth 
overlapping, intersecting. Now, you and I know the rupture effect of sin, how sin pulls everything apart, the fragmentation of sin. But God's space and human space was always meant to overlap, to intersect, to come together, to be joined together. And they do in Jesus. Jesus, who is fully human and fully God, fully at home on earth and in heaven, in human space and God's space. In Jesus, in the very person of Jesus, heaven and earth come together, on earth as it is in heaven. And one day, through the work of Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection, heaven and earth will come together again, fully, completely, like God always intended. So to say that Jesus has ascended into heaven is not to say that he sort of like floated away somewhere. It's not to say that Jesus is absent from us. It's not to say that Jesus has checked out on us. It's not to say that Jesus sort of has his out-of-office response on now, like perpetually. Like you can email him, but it's going to be a while. (laughs) He'll get back to you once he returns. And to say that Jesus has ascended is to say that Jesus is present, reigning, exercising his authority over heaven and earth, here and now. As Wright says, heaven was seen as the control room of earth. Jesus has ascended to the control room, to the throne reigning over all, all of creation, all of heaven and earth, it's an ascent to the throne. When you hear these words from Ephesians 1, Paul writes, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same is the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way far above, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, every name that's invoked, not only in the present age, but in the age to come. And so here's our key idea. The scriptures are telling us that Jesus, the one who died and rose again, is the one who is in charge, that he has ascended to the throne of the universe. Jesus is up on the throne. Is that hopelessly naive. Maybe. But men and women who believed this have stopped the slave trade and ended apartheid and unseated tyrants and outlasted empires. So who's really in charge here? I want you to hear these words. Here's how one author and priest put it. And this really is at the heart of the gospel. It's not just that Jesus Christ will help you with your troubles or that he's a really good friend or that you can have this wonderful spiritual experience with him. It's about the objective fact that he is actually the Lord of the world. 
The good news we preach is not a private spirituality, but a political reality. Jesus is Lord. And his lordship challenges and trumps all other allegiances and loyalties, which is why Christians tend to get into so much trouble with rulers. If Jesus is on the throne, then I can stand up here and tell you that the clock is running out on the powers of evil and the powers of this world. Every power bent against the will of God. And even now we proclaim that Jesus has disarmed the powers and authorities, making a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them on the cross. If Jesus is on the throne, exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out the Spirit of God on all God's sons and daughters, which means if you are in Christ, the very Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living within you. And you have been sent out as an agent of hope in this world. In this world, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. If Jesus is on the throne, it means Jesus is actively at work in our world, not checked out, not at a distance, not with his out of office up right now. Jesus is actively at work in our world for renewal and new life. And we see it now in part, and we know one day we'll see it in full. And yes, we live in that tension that now but not yet fully. We live in that space of tension, but we live there with this defiant hope that moves us, people of God, to action. I went to R Richmond, Virginia recently. Uh, we were going to our friend's uh, wedding, my husband and I, and we had a day just to kind of explore Richmond, and so that felt like a really great idea, uh, eight months pregnant to sort of just like waddle through the humidity for a day. Like, that felt like a great way to see some of the, see the East Coast. Uh, and it was. It was cool to see Richmond. Um, there was a, a civil rights monument at the state capitol. You can see a picture on one side of it. This monument at the state capitol that we, we stopped in front of for a while, and it's honoring the youth, the families, the civil rights attorneys, uh, the clergy who protested the poor conditions of segregated schools in Virginia. And it was a young woman there, she's, she's front and center there, 16-year-old Barbara Rose Johns, who organized a protest at her school. And so she forged notes to all the teachers after she had tricked the principal into leaving the school. She forged notes to all her teachers and got um, all the classes to come to the auditorium. And there she convinced all of her fellow students to join in a protest, and 450 of them walked out and marched the homes of school board members, and one minister in particular encouraged them and helped them in the struggle, a man named Reverend L. Francis Griffin, known also as the Fighting Preacher. He's also featured in the monument there in Richmond, and he encouraged them to reach out to civil rights attorneys. And from this protest, a lawsuit was formed and eventually that lawsuit was joined with four other cases that were taken to the Supreme Court as Brown versus Topeka Board of Education. And this is the case that would declare that separate but equal was unconstitutional. If Jesus is on the throne, then his power and presence has been unleashed amongst his people, far beyond what we could ever ask or imagine. I heard the story recently of a couple named Christina and Austin. And before COVID hit, they were trying to get to know their neighbors, trying to build relationships. 
They would throw holiday parties or watch football games together. But then the pandemic started, and of course that all shut down. And so they're trying to figure out, like, how do we continue to build relationships with our neighbors? We want our neighbors to know Jesus. We want them to experience life with God. You know, what's, what's the next step? They tried uh, parties, dinners on the driveway, but that didn't feel like it was going anywhere. And so they kind of had this, like, whim almost of, well, what if we just did a secret Bible study on Zoom? What if we invited our neighbors just to open up the Bible with us and ask questions? What would happen? Well, what happened is they saw lives transformed and people coming alive to the presence of God. They saw restoration happening on a Zoom call in the middle of a global pandemic. If Jesus is on the throne, the Spirit of God cannot be stopped. If Jesus is on the throne, then we know how this story ends. A new world, heaven and earth made one. I want you to hear these words from a statement of faith. I think this is my favorite quote ever. (laughs) If you hear me preach more than once, you'll hear this quote probably. (laughs) Hope gives us courage for the struggle. The people of God have often misused God's promises as excuses for doing nothing about present evils. But in Christ, the new world has already broken in and the old can no longer be tolerated. We know our efforts cannot bring in God's kingdom but hope plunges us into the struggle for victories over evil that are possible now in the world, the church, and our individual lives. Hope gives us courage and energy to contend against all opposition, however invincible it may seem, for the new world and the new humanity that are surely coming. Jesus is Lord. He's been Lord from the beginning. He will be Lord at the end. Even now, he is Lord. People of God. Does that sound crazy? Hopelessly naive? Like to believe that you have to bury your head in the sand. There's a famous quote on preaching that says to do so, you need to have your Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. My Bible is on my laptop and the news is on my smartphone, but I think the quote still holds up. <laughs> and so all week, Acts chapter 2, enemies and footstools and exalted Jesus and faces and bios of fourth graders. One and then the other. One and then the other. And we all do that. We open up God's word, the reality, what the living God is saying, and as we live in this beautiful but broken world. And God never calls us to shut our eyes to the pain, to bury our head in the sand. Jesus invites us into weeping and lamenting and, and getting angry and crying out to God. Jesus did all those things in the face of evil, oppression, injustice, death. And to cling to the hope of the risen and ascended Jesus. To cling to the hope that evil will not get the last word. The madness of our world does not get the final word. The the seeming chaos of injustice, of sin, of evil, does not win out, will not last, for Jesus has ascended to the throne. Jesus is the good king, the righteous king, the just king. 
the one who is in the process of setting the world right. We see it in part now. One day we will see it in full. Jesus, the good king, the just king, the righteous king, the one who is not far off, who is not checked out, who it is it that sits at the right hand of God. It's the one with scars in his hands, who was nailed to a cross for our healing and for the healing of the world. Who is it that sits at the right hand of God, the one who's been called a man of sorrows, well acquainted with grief, who fully entered into our suffering and came out the other side? The one who, being a very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, to use to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in appearance as a human as a man, and he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every tongue is going to confess and every knee is going to bow. Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. The Christian claim is that we have not been left alone. We have not been left to figure this out on our own. Evil will not win out. Injustice will not go unchecked. That last enemy, death itself, will be defeated. Jesus has ascended to the throne. And that hope, people of God, gives us courage and energy for the struggle. So as we close, I want to just speak these words that Jesus spoke over his disciples that Jesus speaks over us. From Matthew 28, if you feel comfortable, I encourage you, invite you just to put your hands out to receive these words from Jesus, that he speaks over you, New Denver Church. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Let's pray. Jesus, I know in a room this size, group this size, lots of stories, lots of things we carry into this place. So I pray, God, in your tender mercy that you would just sweep us up in your presence. What we need to hear, what we need to respond to this morning, what we need to take away, what we need to continue to process, what we need to talk about with someone else, the action you're calling us to. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would lead us. We pray this in strong, the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.